Hey, this is Richard Campbell. Before we get started, I wanted you to know that LLBL Gen Pro, the leading entity model designer for your favorite .NET OR mapping framework, has just released version 5, and it's got some exciting new features, like derived model support for DTO class models or document databases, real-time validation, one-click relational model synchronization, and much more. Read all about it on LLBLGen.com, and say hi to Franz Bauma for us. .NET Rocks, episode 1308, with guest Wes Higby. Recorded Tuesday, May 3rd, 2016. Hey, welcome back. It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're going to have a good show today. I'm, I'm sorry about the uh, uh, state of my voice. This is probably the first time people will have heard this nasty voice. Um, I've got a cold, and uh, I, I'll do my best. How's that? Well, it, I mean, I hope you don't downplay this, quote, cold. It's been a few weeks. You've done all the drugs. You missed Dev some in Sweden. It was yeah. not a small thing. People were really worried about you, buddy. Yeah, that's I, right. I was... I was feeling emotions for you because people were so concerned. I picked it up in Belgium. And um, interestingly, my doctor says there's something going around locally here, which may, I may have caught most of it here. I don't know. But it started as a throat tickle in Belgium. But uh, she says, the doc says that she's got patients who are out for six weeks at a time. Wow. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, I'm glad I'm remote. <laughs> well, anyway, let's roll the music for Better No Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? If I knew, I could get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm officially set up. I like asking, you know, the doctor, hey, is there any way you can, like, look at my phlegm under a microscope and tell me what it is? And she's like, I wouldn't even know how to do that. I'm like, are yeah. you a doctor? Oh, anyway. Well, if you go to 1308.pwop.me, you will come to a product called Visual Mutator. Weird. Yeah, weird. Uh, it's on GitHub. Visual Mutator is a mutation testing tool. And I looked that up, mutation testing, because I hadn't heard of it. It's also called mutation analysis or program mutation. It's used to design new software tests and evaluate the quality of existing software tests. It involves modifying a program in small ways. Each mm. mutated version is called a mutant. <laughs> and I love that. And tests yeah. detect and reject mutants by causing the behavior of the original version to differ from the mutant. And this is called killing the mutant. So Visual Mutator is integrated into the development process as an extension for the Visual Studio IDE. Implementing the process of mutation testing, it strives to provide a way to measure the quality of the test suite. So it looks interesting to me, and um, I'm sure there are people out there who have a lot of experience with this, or at least some, and, you know, we'd like to hear from you. Yeah, I guess the argument here is if I'm able to randomly mutate code and my tests don't fail, maybe my tests aren't that good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. All right, I'll buy that. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, genetic programming algorithms in uh, college. We did that in our machine learning class and trying yeah. to get a um, kind of tweaking things so the implementation wrote itself based off of the constraints we put on it. 
And that was the voice of Wes Higby, who we'll be talking to in just a few minutes. But uh, first, Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 1290, the one we did with Donovan Brown. We talked about the mobile DevOps pipeline, which I think we're going to have a little bit of a devops conversation today. So, uh, And this particular so. comment comes from Mike Branstein, who said, A great conversation as always. I especially like how the new build system in VSTS and TFS can run anywhere on Windows, Linux, even Raspberry Pi. Yeah. I'm betting it can't install VSTS on Raspberry Pi. I'm just guessing. That's just me. <laughs> it turns out that I'm that crazy guy with a VSTS build agent deployed to his Raspberry Pi. What? <laughs> what? The build agent. He has the build agent. Oh, okay. okay. It's just the build agent. Calm I've been down, working people. on a continuous integration build to auto-deploy Python code for my Raspberry Pi. In the end, the app streams light sensor data into an Azure IoT hub, analyzes the data with stream analytics, and routes the data to SQL Azure databases, and reports on the data with Power BI. Bingo! I think that's enough code words there. <laughs> uh, He's hired. Also, I built something simple to detect ambient light changes in our living room. I know exactly what time my four-year-old wakes up and wanders downstairs. <laughs> so in the end, wow. this is just a child detector. Although this is a simple use case for the new build engine, it shows the versatility and cross-platform capabilities of VSTS and TFS. We're seeing a new Microsoft, and it's a really exciting story for everyone in the development community. Mike, I agree. And I think part of what makes this story exciting is crazy people like you. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? This is nuts. But clearly it's working, too. So that is yeah, very exciting. Right. I love it. So, Mike, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet. We put him between slides and look at him under a microscope. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, let me formally introduce Wes Higby. He is a self-proclaimed coffee-o-sore, or a coffee connoisseur, a lover of fine coffees, no swill allowed. But he says artisanal sludge is also welcome. As a consultant, he helps organizations produce rapid results. And that's it, short and sweet. Welcome, Wes. That's a nice summary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I tried to button it up for you guys. Yeah, you had more me. about coffee than you did about anything else, which is great. Yeah. I love well, it. Well, <laughs> priorities in life absolutely right? what else do we work for yep so um so tell us why devops is dead yeah so and i love the title actually because i was thinking devops is a fad but um, now you're making me rethink what i was going to say entirely oh uh, okay <laughs> no but i like this so we're going to go with this so when i saw that actually i was tweeting earlier about this and i um i was like yeah you, you know what you're absolutely right um it's dead it's dead on arrival and it's dead on arrival because we're just seeing Agile and Lean and other methodologies rebranded as DevOps. Okay. And, and so really what I think we have here, and the reason I like the original title is uh, DevOps is a fad, is uh, I think a lot of people are either going to come to DevOps from some other place entirely, or perhaps they're coming from Agile Lean and they're looking for the next thing to iterate. Uh, and they're going to get a lot, of, they're going to get excited about this, but at the same time, there's really nothing new there. Uh, what's interesting to me, uh, thinking back historically, back when people first even started talking about Agile and, and Lean, or at least back when I was starting to look into these methodologies, and we would apply these things, we were already more or less doing what 
a lot of people talk about with mm. DevOps. And that's where we have everybody be responsible for everything. Um, and maybe that's the nature of the work that I did at the time. But uh, in consulting work, teams of people work together and I mean, you're responsible for everything. So you're really so. just talking about the the term DevOps, really. I mean, you're not suggesting that developers and, and organizations and operations shouldn't work together, obviously. No, no, no. And quite the contrary. Um, I think that developers and organization, or operations uh, and many other types of responsibilities and organizations have in the past either worked together well or not so well. And I think that's the underlying problem. Mm-hmm unavoidably they're going to work together. The question is, will they send each other Christmas cards? Right, right. Yeah. And so that's, well, and that's because it's kind of weird to me uh, from, from my history. Uh, a lot of people wear this hat, ever, wear both hats or three or four other hats as well. Uh, when building custom software, we didn't have one group of people that developed it and then another group of people that deployed it and then another group of people that tested it. We just had teams and a lot of times we'd trade the responsibilities because at the end of the day, we were trying to build something that was going to make our customer happy. And whatever was required for the given project at hand was what had to be done. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of, I guess, there weren't a lot of walls. Uh, we did have people that maybe liked the, liked ops type stuff, if you could say there's ops type stuff, um, you know, right. maintain servers and deploying code. I um, mean, they have a preference for that. Uh, and then we have people that love developing, but we have a lot of people that mix both skill sets. Uh, I, I can't imagine most nerds don't actually like to mix all skill sets. And that's where I kind of find myself and the people I was working with. Um, so I think this is interesting because back when I think even the word agile was becoming well known, uh, people were already applying this idea of multiple different groups working well together. And so the reason I think that it's somewhat dead or a fad um, is that it, I don't think it's going to solve anything that uh, wasn't already solved by Agile or Lean for people or wasn't already not solved. In other words, I think the same problems are there, even with a whole new paradigm and all new buzzwords to go with it. Yeah, and I've actually heard people say exactly that. Isn't DevOps just Agile for operations? Yeah, it's kind of like expanding, uh, you know, and it, you can't like, it's like nobody's definitive about a word. And that's a good thing, because we can all think about what it means to us. But the consistency I see is in talking about bringing these two groups of people together, instead of having, uh, as you mentioned, in some orgs, there's this devs versus ops, because they are so segmented that people have different response or different um, purposes at the end of the day. And so they don't work right. well together. Uh, one group's well, incentivized to get features done. The other group is incentivized to keep the system secure from hackers. <laughs> so these two, you know, these two different goals conflict with each other. Um, and so you've had this problem, I think that's trying to be addressed here where, uh, dev it's kind of a devs versus ops mentality. It's almost a divisiveness. Um, if, if you look at the election that's going on right now, uh, you have uh, Trump on one side blaming Mexicans for every problem we have, and then you have Sanders on the other side blaming the 1% for every problem we have in this right, country. Sure. Um, so certainly like divisiveness is kind of what I see as the underlying problem. Um, and the reason I think a lot of people won't have success with this is if they don't target that at the core, why people don't work well together, uh, I don't think Agile or DevOps or anything is going to have any impact. Uh, and I think there's a bigger problem, too. It's um, it's not just dev versus ops. This is still a very software-focused perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, I, we still have a 
even with even with people that are applying DevOps, there's still a lot of people that are basically just talking about software versus the business, like software people versus business people. And you'll even see that going back to the Agile Manifesto, that's prevalent, you know, right in the principles is business people and developers must work together as if developers aren't business people um, or as if ops people as well aren't business people. And and now we have software versus business people. So that's next. Like if you were to project the trajectory of the next fad, it's going to be something about that. Uh, And some people (laughs) talk about that space, but um, you could go a step further too uh, and the way I've kind of come at all of this is there's even bigger problem. There's even bigger divisiveness. So it's not even just software people versus business people. It's our business versus our customers. That's the next mentality problem you have. Because ultimately what you really need to have happen in business to be successful is to have cohesiveness um, throughout an organization and throughout the, pe- the organizations you work with, both organizations that you depend on and organizations that depend on you. Uh, that's the real big picture here. If you want to have, if you want to affect change in an organization, oftentimes it's because we're just zeroed in on our one little piece, um, siloed in a way, which people talk a lot about not doing, but we're siloed on just the software our, our organization produces now. So great. We've got everybody together that can produce software, but the software is still being produced out of sync with the realities of what our business does. So th- does this just come down to creating a common set of goals? Like you, like you said, developers are motivated to ship new features, right? That is how they're measured. That's how they get their raise. Operations folks, and I've worn this hat, I'm measured on uptime, right? That's what yep. matters. The system yep. goes down for whatever reason. Maybe it's hacking. Maybe it's a DDoS attack. Maybe it's bugs in software. I take a hit. So I don't like new features because new features increase the likelihood of outages. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, it's you you hit on it exactly. I think that the underlying problem that's not being discussed is it's not about um, this type of developer versus testers, which is kind of what Agile addressed, um, versus maybe project managers. And it's not about devs versus ops, and it's not about any of these versus things. The underlying problem, if we want to address it, is uh, in a lot of cases, people have problems with not having common uh purposes throughout the organization right. and if i were to you know go, going back to agile the way i looked at this um as flexible as it supposedly is agile is extremely nuanced um when you look at practices and what people are preaching there's so many sacred things about how you should develop software. You have to use right. version control. You have to write tests. You have to code cover everything. You have to have pair programming. Um, these things are extolled as absolute virtues, and very few people actually talk about the context within which these things are a bad idea. And for any one methodology that we have, I, you could throw any sacred thing at me, and I can give you a context within which it would be a bad idea. And that's because how we do things is not where we have the problem. Um, in the past with waterfall, with this planning and rigid sticking to the plan, even that method of doing a lot of upfront planning and then sticking to the plan is really not that problematic. The problem with all of these approaches is that we just start without a common goal. We start without right. not having a crystal clear vision of what it is we're trying to get to. Like if you're hiking up a mountain, everybody would know where the top of the mountain is at. And unless there's a tree in the way, they should be able to see it the whole way along. So there so should we also be no know where the goal line is then. Exactly. Like, exactly. The and goal if you have a, is very clear. 
Crystal clear, yeah. And if we have this goal in mind, uh, at every step of the process, we can be flexible. So I, uh, what I've done myself and what I see people doing successfully when it comes to being flexible or agile is not being flexible about the what. In other words, what we're doing and understanding why we're doing it are things we're not flexible about while we're doing something. We may spend time up front to figure those out, but we don't go changing those every day. It'd be like um, if you're out driving and you hit a, a traffic, or sorry, you hit construction, would you change your final destination because you hit construction? Absolutely not. So if you hit a detour, you can be flexible in getting the map out and finding another way to get to where you were going at the end of the day. So what I see but again, success- again, when you get into that prescriptive mentality and you must drive this highway- yeah, you're going to hit yeah. that block and you're stuck. Yeah. So I can, on this highway, I can only get to two cities and the one that I want to get to is blocked. So I'll just go to the other city. <laughs> right. So yeah, you get, and that's what, that's what happens when you, you know, pick any methodology out of the mix here. Automation, for example, everything should be automated. So you get on that automation highway and you're automating things that you only ever do one time a year. And it might cost $5,000 or it might even cost $500. But the question is, why are you doing that? And more importantly, um, we're human beings. So like, like it or not, we have a very limited attention span. Um, yep. And one of the reasons why it's important to pick your battles is that the thing we focus on, like automation, can easily become a trap. Or with, with Agile, I think the trap most people fell into is that uh, they just shouldn't plan at all. Like that was kind of the be flexible means oh, sure. no planning at all. Um, and you get in that trap of being flexible or automating everything. And then that's all that's on your radar. So if, you're ha- if a problem comes along, the only hammer you have is automation or be flexible. But at the end of the day, that means then you're just driving around in circles on a highway somewhere and never getting to a final destination that matters. I think it's not, I mean, it doesn't seem like that's such a big stretch to have a common set of goals. The, the question is, why do we struggle so mightily with this? Like, what's the problem here? It seems very obvious. Right, right. The, the problem is uh, that we all inherently have a fundamental belief, and I'll stereotype technical people, myself being one of them. Uh, we are so close to logic that we think we're logical. Uh, we don't realize the role that emotion plays, and actually I would say the role that ignorance plays in most of our life. Um, and so we assume that uh, we're reasonable, but in reality, what's happening is um, every day new things come up that bother us, and those right. things that bother us in the moment are what steal our attention. And then our only solution is maybe a hammer. So we might speed some speed up a problem, uh, not knowing what else to do with it. Uh, for example, years ago uh, in my in the company I was working with, we build by the hour. And people wouldn't put their hours in on time. Like this is classic problem. Totally normal. This, yeah. Inevitable. <laughs> exactly. The system we had was painfully slow. It would take like 15 minutes to put your hours in just for a day. And it would be like three entries. It would just postbacks and waiting forever. So I was like, well, okay. I think part of the problem that people aren't putting their hours in is just because the system's not fast enough. So we've got a faster system. But lo and behold, like four years later, we're still beating people up every week to put their hours in. So if our solution to things is to keep, uh, to speed up what we already do, for example, uh, we might not realize that maybe the problem is that we shouldn't be billing by the hour altogether. So we can't think beyond 
the tools we have in front of us when a problem happens and we just try and stick with it. And so that's why we fundamentally have a problem. Now, the question of uh, you would think then is, well, can't we just put a good goal in front of us, right? Like, why can't we just, um, why can't we find something that everybody has in common? And we can. The problem is it's difficult. And the reason it's difficult, this ties back to the fact that we're not logical, is that what matters to us does not matter to other people. Right. Some people share what we like, share what we like. So I, I hate opera. So if you give me opera tickets, I'm not going to be happy, but vice versa, somebody else might love opera. And if I, um, got them a set of tickets to some fighting fight match, they probably wouldn't enjoy that. Uh, but we, we have a tendency to think that other people value what we value. Um, right. even if we're intentional about going, yeah, we, I know that other people don't value what I value. When we're making snap decisions on a daily basis, that's the, um, that's the bias that's playing into things. So we don't understand uh, when perhaps the goal we have is something that's not going to matter to our customers. Like it just seems like a good idea to us from where we're sitting at, from our perspective. Uh, you'll see this a little bit in user experience uh, spaces. People will talk about the fact that when we develop software, we see the world different than the people that use our software. And so we have to... Well, we always will, right? Yeah. We have a different relationship to that software. That's kind of normal. Yeah. And we get so frustrated because when we're like, you're demoing something to somebody and they just don't understand how to use it. And you're like, the button's right there, right on the lower right. <laughs> There's 400 <laughs> buttons around it, but I know exactly where it is. So I don't know why you don't know where it is. Uh, right. Because I put it there. <laughs> I put it there and I've pushed it 4,000 times to test it over the last three months. Why don't you see it? And it's not that we are intentional about this. It's not like we're like, everybody should value what I value. It's just kind of how our minds work. It's hard to remember you're not your customer. And, and your relationship to your software is so intimate. Yep. Yep. It, it, absolutely. And And each customer you have is different too. This one bid us a bunch of times, we'd have one customer come in, we build a system for them, a trading system, for example, and the next customer would come along and they want a trading system as well. So we think we build exactly the same thing for them and they would be happy. And they're not, they're right. miserable. They paid way more than they wanted to pay because their use case was so much more uh, focused than the other one. Um, and so we end up having an upset customer. We're like, why are you upset? These are all the things you would have asked for, but they're not because to that customer, <laughs> you have a different captain at the helm making different decisions, pushing those people in a different direction. Right. So it matters to them, doesn't matter to somebody else. Um, now, the, the reason that this is so problematic, um, and what, what I think people can do to get a handle on this, is start to recognize that uh, agile and software craftsmanship and lean um, and DevOps and, and any of these movements slash fads, by and large, if you look at the practices for sure, and even when you look at the principles, you're going to see things about how we work involved. So it's about developers should be working with business people. It's about working software as a primary measure of progress or right. maintaining a constant pace indefinitely. None of this has anything to do with what we're doing. It has everything to do with how we do our work. So it's an operational concern, not a strategic concern. We have to just start recognizing that almost we have too many methods out there. Like right. the waterfall actually works in some situations. Agile works sure. in situations. Scrum works. Um, micromanaging works in situations. Siloing 
by functional division works in some situations. We have to be able to step back um, if we want to be able to take advantage of all these different methods and start developing uh, our skill set around understanding what matters to other people. And that's a completely different skill set. And if we leave that off to the side, uh, we're always going to be neophytes at it. We're never going to get better at the techniques we need to understand what matters to other people. Yeah, well, we're getting back to this argument of there isn't one right way, right? There's always multiple ways to solve problems. You know, it, what works best for you is is reasonable. There's not one way to build software. There's not one way to test things. Yeah. But why is it we focus so much on these process pieces rather than focusing on that larger sort of paradigm thinking? Yeah, it's a control thing. Um, we can't control outcomes. Like we, we don't have explicit control over our fate tomorrow, right? <laughs> but we can yeah. control what we're doing right now. And, we, and it seems like the one thing we can control is how we do our work. Uh, every first-time manager knows this. When they are promoted from doing to managing, they want, right. most of them, not everybody, but a lot of them have a problem. I had this problem. We want everybody to do, thing our, do things our way because we knew when we did things, a good result came out. That's oftentimes right. why people are promoted because they can produce results. <laughs> Interestingly yes, enough, they, that doesn't you, mean that you were they were clearly get... showing competence in that area. Let me move you yeah. over to this area. You're not as competent at. Yeah, now it's your turn to control the helm, right? Of how we do right. things. So recognizing that they're really like that A, it's about a false sense of control when it comes to getting people to do things your way. It's almost like a first step, but that's a huge hurdle. That would mean um, you reviewing other people's code doesn't mean you get to tell them what to do with it. Doesn't right. mean that you should like, and sh doesn't mean that you should just say whatever comes to mind because you're a human being, you're emotional. Um, you're likely to, to flip out over something stupid. Uh, last night, I don't know if you guys watched Silicon Valley. Um, it was, it was brilliant. They had an episode and this is a spoiler alert, but, uh, Jared gets a girlfriend. Um, and, uh, Oh, sorry, Richard gets a girlfriend and it turns out that she likes spaces and he likes tabs. <laughs> and <laughs> they break up, they break up over this issue. Um, Genius. Yeah. So Genius. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and of course it was like the little jabs at each other. Um, why would you want to type eight spaces when one tab would do it for you or whatever? Uh, <laughs> you, you have to, you have to realize though that ultimately, even if everybody does things your way, it doesn't mean that you're going to have a predictable result at the end of the day. And um, until that happens, every level of the organization, somebody's trying to control things by getting people to do things either their way or consistently. So I'm a huge fan of consistency, but it has a context as well. And I think that it's wrong, uh, or sorry, I think it's not wrong. It's counterproductive many times to have organizational standards on management philosophies, for example. So I think it's stupid for a, an organization to say, we only do agile or we only do waterfall or whatever. We only do DevOps. And that's because each project might dictate a different set of constraints that would need a different set of methodologies. But if you have the rigid process because you think that's what gives you predictable results, well, you're just going to have people follow a rigid process and have people fail. And I think that's what you're seeing with people why they want to transition from Agile to DevOps because it's like a new glittering beam of hope that this is the way that will make things just always work out right. When in reality, 
Uh, we just don't have control over the future. And what we should do instead is start figuring out how we can learn um, to leverage uncertainty in the work we're doing. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? I must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to make a DevOps cocktail. Take, <laughs> oh, what's that? You take three ounces of code, two ounces of tools, three ounces of telemetry, a couple shakes of controls, and two cups of failure. <laughs> <laughs> Mix it up. It's good. It's good. It's actually time to give away music to code by complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Music to Code By is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed by yours truly to promote focus. They'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. .NET Rocks fans all over the world are being more productive with Music to Code By. And check it out and see what all the fuss is about at musictocodeby.net. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Taylor Montague. Ah, congratulations, Taylor. Congratulations. Golf clap for you. And uh, Taylor just won 13 tracks of music to code by. That's a lot of, that's a few hours. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big get free stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. Now, Wes, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? Uh, I'd buy another loaded iMac to put next to mine, so I have two retina displays that are awesome. Okay. More Macification. Yep. <laughs> you know, this is an interesting thing, too. Uh, I, anybody that knows me knows I hated Macs for about up until a year ago. Uh, it's just not the way I did things, and I refused to. Uh, I just didn't like them. I refused to even use them. Now, here I am a year later. Um, I bought a MacBook, and now everything's switched over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes we have to open up to the way we do things as maybe not the best way for us. Uh, in my case, you know, I was so insistent on Windows, but now there's no way you could pry me back. Um, I'm not going to give up a retina display for sub substandard displays, and I'm not going to give up this amazing trackpad, for example, and the yep. integration of my devices. Yeah. That's just my personal opinion, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm saying for me now, um, and I would have loved to have this three years ago, but I was insistent that the way I was doing things was the right way, so that also kept me from trying new ways. And sometimes we have problems that we face where we do need a new way. So for some organizations, I think they maybe are in this waterfall bucket still where they have a lot of planning and sticking to the plan and that is causing problems. Mm -hmm. If they want to move into a better approach, I think they just have to get better at trying new things instead of saying, no, we've always been wrong. Now this is the right approach. Like we don't have to have these I don't have to be an agilist. I don't have to be a DevOpsist. I don't have to be a lean whatever. Right. I can just be a person that will take advantage of whatever I think is awesome. Um, and then you really get into that idea of the um, if you can let go of the ways you think are right when it comes to what you do and what you ask other people to do, um, you'll slowly start to realize that there's no wrong way to do the right thing. But it's, Interesting it, statement. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's very hard to find that the right way part of that statement. But um, 
What I found actually, especially to someone in a, let's go back to someone in an entry-level management position has just been promoted. They want to, they want people to follow their coding style. They want to review everybody's code and tell them exactly how to change it. Um, that person over time will realize that that doesn't scale. So the most they can right. do is check the work of maybe two or three people, right? <laughs> uh, has anybody else done that besides me? <laughs> okay, maybe yeah. it's just me. In there. <laughs> yeah. So we know that it doesn't scale. Uh, and so that's extremely frustrating. Well, when you know it's not scaling, try this. Try sitting down with the people you work with and seeing if you can't find that top of the mountain for you. Um, a great, great analogy is this is playing the game Escape the Room. If you dump a bunch, if you dump a bunch of people in a room, um, and I don't, if people haven't done this, basically you have a bunch of challenges to get out of that room. But you all have one thing in mind, and that's getting out of the room. If you can sit down with people and you can figure out what that getting out of the room is, and you just let them do whatever to get out of the room, mm-hmm. you'll find it's uh, a huge relief not to have to double check people's work, not to have to worry about the consequences, and. Uh, you'll you'll have what I almost refer to as like a having your back high. It's like this high you get when you don't have to worry about what these people are doing uh, because you know you're all on the same page and you know it'll come out at the end of the day. And what comes out is all you focus on then. Um, and now you can scale what you're doing to work with a larger number of people, mm-hmm. whether that's yourself or just bringing more people into the fold. If there's a crystal clear goal in mind, like getting out of the room uh, and escape the room, you don't have to tell people what to do. In fact, if you tell people what to do, if anybody tries to be a bully in that game, you're probably not getting out of the room because you're wasting precious time that could be spent solving puzzles. Uh, right. So what people do in that game is, or what I've seen be successful, is everybody just goes and works on whatever it is that appeals to them to help get out of the room, right? And of course, people could sit on the sidelines, but nobody does that because we're all excited. So not only right. uh, do you have to have a crystal clear goal, but that has to be something that people care about. So if your company is wanting to fleece your customers and you have that mentality, don't expect people to get excited about it and really be that uh, on board with ramping things up. But if you do have something that people can get excited about, like uh, let's say the project you're working on is to improve patient outcomes, to keep people from falling in the hospital. That's something that you understand a goal around. That's something you can probably measure. And that's something that people care about. So if you have those two pieces, then what happens is everybody can just work independently and before you know it, you're out of the room. But if you try and coordinate that whole process, uh, inevitably you just delay it really. And uh, then you're out of time in the game, in the version of Escape the Room. In reality, uh, what you've probably done is have people build something that that is completely unnecessary uh, because you're not, by the way, checking repeatedly with other people to see if what you're building uh, is even resonating with the people that need to use it. Like those right. users outside of your organization, um, that you should be cr- curious about them. That's what you should spend your time on. Not everybody. If everybody looked outward toward the customer, some interesting things would happen. Uh, for example, you'd observe that you really don't know what your customer values. Uh, yeah. What's so, actually it, important there. Yeah. There's a pet store nearby. And I was just thinking about this today. My dog takes me into it every day. It's just around the block here. <laughs> Um, I, I don't always buy something. And at first that kind of bothered me. I'm like, well, I'm in here. She likes to walk around and then I walk out and that slightly bothered me. But the more I thought about it, uh, she takes me in there more often than I would go in there if it weren't for her so much that I actually buy more stuff than I <laughs> wouldn't buy. But the weird thing is 
for that uh, pet store, I doubt the owner knows that people come in just to walk around. They're probably so out of touch with what customers value that nobody's even caught onto that to maybe then try and capitalize on that. Like, what can you do to get people just to come in? Um, could you paint side? Like, could you make like a fake sidewalk in the pet food store, kind of like sidewalks <laughs> here in New York City, you know, and kind of encourage people to come in and um, have you know walk their dog through the store, basically, even if you're not going to buy anything. Uh, so you could be missing a great opportunity there that you wouldn't see if you weren't curious about what people value. And that's kind of a weird one. Like, how many people think that people brick and mortar still value? just the experience itself, right? Yeah. But, and, it, you know, you look at that it's from a software perspective. I mean, my initial reaction is, if I'm not typing, I'm not working. So why would I want to go talk to customers? Right. So, I th- you know, and, and there are a myriad of reasons why. Um, you certainly have some example where you developed some code that wasn't used, right? Oh, without a doubt, you know, we, we are definitely getting further away when we're always writing, writing code. But yeah. this, I think it's a battle for a lot of people to deal with blue sky time, with the time when you have to think about what has to be done. You have to learn more about what's going on because all too often you're just measured by, did you have a check-in today? Yep, absolutely. All these metrics we have are are reflecting our obsession with how things are done. So how many commits do you have? How many lines of code? What code coverage? All these things then, like I said, we have narrow attention spans. So we focus on these things uh, instead of the blue sky time, which is figuring out what's important. And almost uh, like the trap and agile there is that it's encouraged not to spend a lot of time planning because people came from this history where they planned, 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 and then stuck with the plan as it took them off the cliff. And so right. the rejection to that end is we don't need any planning at all. And uh, there's, there's a myriad of reasons why that then fulfills itself, mostly because managers uh, just really are not that accountable for what's going on. But uh, you do have to spend time planning up front. That's something I absolutely right. believe in. I think that uh, the very first thing you should do, even if it takes a couple of weeks, is figure out what the right thing to do is. That doesn't mean you go into details. Um, quite the contrary. No. Leave leave the details up in the air. Leave the methodology up in the air. Focus on what the right thing to do is, even if it's just a guess at what the right thing to do is. Um, organizationally, we know this as creating a strategy for your organization beyond just servicing whatever request comes in the door. Um, no company grows by accepting every customer that walks in the door. And so, right. uh, so a- along with that, you don't want to just be developing whatever feature is on the top of your radar today. And I don't, I don't, I don't care if you use, do this daily or you do it bi-weekly with sprint planning. Um, most of the time in those processes, people doing the work are shielded from ever knowing what the work is for and why it's for that. Uh, there's, there's almost always a degree of handoff there. The, but there's also a question of sort of coordinated effort. Are you, we can't have everybody running off collecting their own customer data. Can't we do this yep. a bit more of an efficient way? Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is where the, um, the, the, what I see as the true cross-functional aspect of all this comes in. A company is composed of people that all are oriented toward making the customer happy. So there right. may be some people that do that research and then share that with other people. But a lot of times, um, I don't think that research is being done in a lot of companies. 
I think most of the time people are just reacting to the changing winds. Uh, so there's nothing to share. Uh, I used to believe that people, right. the people hit it. Uh, but most of the time people aren't even bothering to validate if something's a good idea. That seems more likely. If somebody knew yeah. something, if they had real data to work from, they would instinctually share it. It is power. Yeah. So the fact that yeah. they're not sharing it sort of speaks to they don't have anything. Exactly. And that's a and part of the reason I believe that is because I believe that people are inherently good. So if they aren't sharing it, my assumption is they don't have it instead of they're right. hiding it. Now, there are some people that are hiding it, but they're far and few in between. Um, and instead, then, if we don't know, if we don't have goals that are clear to work toward, what else do we have? We just right. we have our methodology and that's it. So the most we can do to improve ourselves is to almost baselessly improve our methodology. In other words, we just change for change's sake because we feel like then we're improving something. And maybe we cut off some time out of something we do, but does it matter at the end of the day? Like, was there right. a bigger opportunity um, for the company to grow? And we don't know. And so then we're also stuck. Um, if we just focus on methodology, we really can only talk about best practices. We can only talk about rote without reason. Uh, because there's no justification for the practices that would actually require talking context and talking what matters to people. We don't have that. So all we can say is, this is the right way to deploy code. This is the right way to set up a server. This is the right way to commit your code. This is the right formatting to use for your code. This is the right way to write a test. Uh, in the hopes that we're getting some control again, circling back to control, and we're not. And so you'll just see this staggered every layer of the organization up if there's not a good, uh, almost culture around making sure people understand what matters, um, then it's all about how are we working is the obsession. Yeah. And, and you mean you need all of those pieces in there. At the same time, you also have a group of folks who, who almost don't want to know. I mean, I can't tell you how many developers I've said, don't bother me. Just tell me what to write. What do you need? Yeah. What, do you want yeah. to, what do you want me to code? I want to write code. And I think that that's wonderful because I think that's actually a great case for uh, ultimately that's, that's a great case for micromanaging. Like you need, like that person wants to be told what to do. That's perfectly fine. They may fit in really well. Um, right. I know there are times where I filled that role and I loved it where you just tell me exactly what to build and I'll build it. I think what burned me eventually was just realizing that it goes unused. And I think that burns a lot of people, but some people it may not. And so for those people, um, yeah, that's great. Their role is to make sure that, uh, they're good builders and other people can give them, what they need to build. But I think a lot of people, we never ask that question. We're either micromanaging everybody or I would say blindly managing everybody, one of the two ends of the spectrum. And, and I absolutely value, you know, folks that were really talented at consolidating customer needs into a coherent plan. Right. Because customers often ask for a lot of random things like it's hard to pull together. What does this you know, how do you think about the problem bigger than their immediate yep. set of problems so you can pick up their problems and more? Yeah. Yeah. Because customers are just human beings, too. So uh, we all have this. They have some little thing goes wrong when they think it's the end of the world and you change all of your development priorities as a result of it. And this is because we right. don't learn to actually challenge the customer. We think somehow like the customer's rational when they come to us and they're not. And the, that whole customer is always right mentality. Yeah, that's all just complete nonsense. What we should say is we're, every, we're, we're all worried about what the right thing to do is. There's nobody that's right or wrong. We're just worried about 
are we doing what we all want to be doing kind of at the end of the day? And then you get away from that. Who is right? Cause there's never such a thing as anybody being right or wrong. There are just consequences. Right. right? And sometimes those are perceived as good by some people. Sometimes those are perceived as bad by others. And sometimes it conflicts like in the case of some dev and ops where <laughs> consequences are uh, opposing. So yeah, so you have to, um, be able to think beyond just your organization and then start to push back into the customer organization to realize that, uh, you have you because you can get into this thing like I was talking about at the beginning, where it's our company versus the customer, and the customer had better get their stuff together and know what they're asking for because we're not going to double check that. We're just going to do right. what they say. Uh, and if they or here's the other one that's um, hard to catch: a lot of people just monitor usage of software, and then they say that that's a proof that a feature was worthwhile. Just because a customer uses something doesn't mean that it was valuable to them. You, you it certainly doesn't mean they like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They may not be happy, and it, and um, more importantly, it may somehow out of using it, it may be necessary, uh, and be costing right. them money. So you could say, "Oh, this usage is through the roof. We should sell more of this," <laughs> and you really then aren't doing anything to to maybe help your customers out. Well, and I've actually had the argument with someone as a performance tuner saying, "You know, I'm measured on the amount of time that people use this app. If you make it faster, they're going to use l- less time." Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then what is that? Yeah. And then how does that play out? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, so how about I make the app slower? You know, was that, is, would that be a good outcome? Do you like that? <laughs> oh, did they price by like usage or something? Yeah, they they were priced by usage. His hours yep. of use was what mattered. And so yep. suddenly he's arguing against making the app faster. Yeah. And this is the, un- that's, so that's a whole interesting question. The other parallel to this is um, understanding what matters to your customer is finally getting at what allows you to price your business well. So if we could talk right. even for a minute about the consequence for people that are uh, technical in nature, um, if anything, the skill you want to develop is pricing. And pricing is not this much per hour. Um, that's, no. that's pricing anybody can do. Uh, pricing is, yeah. is learning how to tie value to what people are buying. Uh, and I think that you look all over the tech space, people complain about a $20 iPad app. Um, I think there yeah. is this app called AstroPad. And I was doing a course here a couple days ago and I wanted to draw on my code. So I got out the iPad, hooked it up to my iMac, uh, mirrored the display with AstroPad, $20 app, and was able to just draw on my monitor, like just overlay basically. And it was extremely seamless process for me. Uh, And then I was reading reviews and people like, this is just an incredibly expensive application. (laughs) And I'm thinking- It's $20. I know, I'm thinking- well, can I just buy every one of these really one of the, can I, can somebody find me all of these overpriced apps? Because those are the ones I think I want to buy and my life is going to be a lot better. <laughs> so the flip yeah. side of things is this value because we don't know what matters. We think effort matters actually. Uh, and because we focus on how we're focused on effort a lot, not results. So we consequently price effort, not value. And that can get a whole other, get into a whole other dimension of business problems. Well, and you're also talking about perceived effort, not actual effort, too. Like some of the best software I've ever seen was so seamless and so smooth, it looked and felt effortless, but took months of work to make that nice. Yep, absolutely. And hopefully it was worth it. (laughs) <laughs> hopefully it was worth it uh, I, well you know i feel the same way about performance tuning performance tuning is one of those things where making the site fast is nice but it doesn't look like a feature once you have it yeah it's just something that almost is uh 
if you have a million users, it's just going to be expected. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, nobody even thinks about it. So at the same time, when we get back to sort of the classic, I mean, we've talked about all these different DevOps pieces and the context of testing and of instrumentation and so forth. There are all these things we should be doing or should we be doing them? Like, I don't want to just blow up the word for the sake of blowing up the word. I'll be the first to admit the words being abused, just like agile's been abused. Yeah, yeah. So we have, like I said, there's all these methods. And how I see it is like, when it comes to doing work, we are lucky to live in the time we live in because we have all these wonderful methods. And I use pretty much all of these methods in some way, shape, or form. It's about realizing that I can pick and choose. It's not about right. needing, and I don't need other people to do it my way either. So I might be able to find context where it doesn't step on anybody else's toes for me to do it this way. Like I was working with a customer and I was writing shell scripts to provision systems. Big deal. Um, of course, right. by the time they want to um, cut that over to a real system, maybe a need for CM. But uh, I think that sometimes gets jumped on prematurely as well. So there are different ways, different <laughs> tools, you know, to, to approach a situation. And I think we all ought to be comfortable picking what works best for us in our context. You know, like you can say in the case of a prototype, I don't need all the latest bells and whistles. Uh, but when we go to a real thing, then let's talk about these three things that we learn and see if it justifies going from a shell script to configuration management. Because maybe it doesn't. What's actual, yeah, what's actually manageable long term. Yeah. If, but it, it only matters that there is a long term. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, that too. That uh, that long term focus is about is really tricky because then you're talking about what does your organization want to be doing in the future, not just what who will pay us for what now, but where right. do we want to be in a year or two years and five years, and how are we getting ready for that? If we're just, well, I think you've kept hinting at this a bunch of times. As soon as I start asking these kinds of questions, I press against the goals of the organization as a whole. Great testing infrastructure makes a lot of sense if you know you're going to make a dozen versions of this app over the next 10 years. Absolutely. Yep. But right? if you're... Like those, those, those kinds of conversations. Yeah. And if you're phasing out a system, it doesn't make sense to, to move it, you know, most of the time. Just uh, try and slowly kill it off if you're going to be replacing it anyways. You know, it might just be like making sure that you also don't have conflicting priorities. I've seen that where it's like, we're getting rid of this, we're adding this. But we need to do both at the same time, even though right. we'll transition by the end of it all. It's no, uh, and sometimes and, there could be a battle over individuals. Like somebody's deeply invested in a piece of software that you know ultimately we need to transition away from. Yep. You know, there's a real challenge of being honest about doing that transition. Like, uh, how is that going to affect that person's productivity? Yeah, and I think you getting back to um, that. There's no, there's no wrong way to do things, um, and what's probably really hard for that person. And what I like to do myself is uh, from time to time, it's really fun to take something I hold near and dear and do it a different way. <laughs> uh, that might just be like using a different framework to do things. I remember a couple of years ago, I switched database migration frameworks. And I was just adamant that the one I was using was the only way you should be doing things. And I would be um, almost challenged at the notion of doing things a different way. Uh, so one day I was like, you know what, I, there's this other way. A lot of people are using it. I just want to see what it's like. I used it on a project. Turns out it's much easier to use than what I was working with. Right. And so, so like just in challenging 
I mean, I was, I mean, I was like, no, I'm not going to change this. Like, this is the wrong way to do this. Um, I opened up to that, was able to try things a new way. Now I have just an easier way to get my job done. <laughs> so it's crazy. Like sometimes we have to let go of the way we do things now. And part of that is, is a, is an insecurity issue. Like yes. this power struggle between devs, testers, QA, ops, these artificial boundaries we've drawn between responsibilities. We want to make sure that we don't cede ground to other people. Uh, they and, are all artificial boundaries. In the end, yeah. it's all about delivering good software. Yeah, yeah. Have you, um, I don't remember what the study was named, but uh, the study that was done where basically they take, like, I think it was two groups of boy, young boys, and they gave them each team names, more or less. And that's all it took for them to get to compete and fight with each other, actually. And right. then as soon as they I, had team names. Yeah, just because team names. So, so we sometimes, you, like, and this is another reason to be careful with, with a word like DevOps, it seems trivial to say that this word is a fad, but um, sometimes we erect another camp and we then shut out using what we think other people advocate and vice versa. We shut them out from understanding the cool things that we've developed. So we sometimes the same, we saw this in agile. Oh, you guys are still waterfalling that we're the agile guys. Yeah. Yeah. And you're wrong. You're, you know, who wants to, who wants to go work for the, for the, uh, stuffy waterfall IBM corporation when they could the come old way. for the yeah exactly come work for the cool new agile corporation um, I, I really appreciate that idea that labels are as much isolating as they are identifying they are yeah and we you know we get to pick what these are um so maybe like say that you're an everythingist like you guys said you're a generalist because of this podcast but that's that perspective you get from doing that probably has shown you that um Sometimes it really just doesn't matter. And, and it's more valuable to have lots of tools in your tool belt than to have a particularly sharpened one that you're absolutely certain about being the best tool for the job. Well, and I think you were talking exactly in that area, which is you are not your work. Your work yes. is just a manifestation of one aspect of you. And there are more manifestations. Yeah. Don't get yourself stuck on, on believing that your value is purely that work, even though at times, organizations will make that you into that. You're yes. the UX guy. You're the data guy. You know, you get hung with these labels. You can fight back against them. You can do more than that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, it's not exactly what you said. You're not your work. And I, here's how I see that. I see that you're not the code you write. You're not right. the test you write. But what what is a part of you is the result it has on other people. And that matters near and dear to all of us because we are a social creature that um, we, we thrive and we're happy when we're helping other people. Uh, that's yes. why we're inherently good because it, something has to be awry for us to be hurting somebody actually because we think we're helping somebody and we're actually hurting somebody. So it right. is what you do for other people. So knowing the impact your software has may be the best thing you can do to let go of the way you do things. Like, I, yep. I couldn't care less about how I do things anymore so long as it helps. I, yes. I'd rather I'll have... I'll do whatever technique's appropriate where I, that I, as long as I don't harm anyone. Yeah. I can actually provide a benefit. Cruddy code that throws exceptions in the admin interface. Who cares if the users have a snappy, wonderful... The users are content and it works well for them. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point to leave it off, Wes. And I know that Carl's struggling with his coughing right now, so maybe <laughs> I'll do the close. Thanks so much. For, uh, for being part of the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. Hey, thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks.
Dotnet Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a